1: <laughs> If you haven't hunted in South Africa, and a lot of you probably haven't, have you asked the question why you haven't? Is it cost? Is it the way that they hunt? You may have some specific questions that make you a little uncomfortable asking someone. I was lucky enough to sit down with Oliver Weichstein from Weichstein Safaris and I asked him some of the tough questions about hunting that you may have always wanted to ask. Oliver and his family were gracious enough to donate a hunt to us for our Blood Origin Supporters Program for the month of March. And as such, I wanted to give our audience, the people listening to this, an opportunity to get to know Oliver. If you have ever wanted to hunt in South Africa and haven't, maybe this podcast will help you decide to go. There is something about Africa that just gets under your blood once you've been there it's extremely hard to describe but hey maybe you'll be the winner of the hunt giveaway and go and experience it for yourself so make sure you sign up for the blood origin supporters program in addition to all the other goodies that you can win you can win a five-day hunt to South Africa all expenses paid
2: sure sure sure
1: already Man, you're a little I thought you video is back. Look, I'm looking at an individual that has a lot of African mounts behind him. Looks like you've got an amazing fireplace behind you. You, you look like a man's man, you got a huge beard. Yet when I what I just watched is a, the tiniest cup of coffee that you just brought uh, to your little, mouth.
2: <laughs> a little espresso. <laughs> well, welcome
1: my friend. I'm so glad to talk Thank to you. you. And uh I'm so, I'm, I'm literally so jealous of where you are right now, but oh, I thanks, will be thanks. in South Africa April the 8th. Okay. Yeah, we're going to come and do some uh, some filming that we've been working on for quite some time, actually. Uh, oh, nice. gonna nice. be a heck of a, heck of a adventure. We're going to be up in, uh, you know, where Howard Knotts Place is in Greater Kudland? No, I don't. It's north of Louis-Tricard. Okay, okay. And then we're going to go from there and then Balega all the way down to the Eastern Cape.
2: Oh, wow, okay. How long
1: uh, are you here for? uh, We are on the ground for 10 days.
2: (laughs) Okay, all right.
1: So we're going to cram as much as we possibly can in, in 10 days. Sure, yeah. Well, I typically do a terrible job of introducing people because we just jump into different things. <laughs> um, but uh, why don't you go and introduce yourself?
2: So I'm Oliver Vechstein, uh, born and raised in Switzerland. But I came to South Africa from a very young age to a family game farm. I moved down here once I graduated school, took over the game farm, turned it into a more from, let's say, a holiday Destination into a business and into more conservation-based hunting and so on. So we're more getting more into the whole, you know, game numbers and making sure everything is sustainable and the ecosystem is protected. And-
1: whoa, 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 Oliver, Oliver. No, no, no. We know, we know that <laughs> we know that hunters are not interested in making wildlife populations sustainable.
2: Yeah, you see, that's what people think, but. That- It's not always the truth.
1: So what's the truth, Oliver?
2: The truth is that we are very interested in sustainable utilization and to make sure that game numbers increase. Uh, Because not only is it our business, it's our passion. And it's our responsibility as custodians of the land that we look after to make sure that the wildlife thrives, the ecosystem thrives. There's not too much wildlife that it takes over. you know, that they overgraze and destroy the ecosystem, which would result in the wildlife numbers plummeting after a while. So that's, that's basically what we do. That's what we're after.
1: So talk to me a little bit from a business perspective. And sorry, just for the audience's sake, I didn't prep Oliver at all. And nothing. No. I, I'm going to drop you in the deep end and let you start right swimming point. right away. But that's just how <laughs> we do things here at, at Blood Origins. Talk to me from a business perspective specifically economic assets wildlife essentially is an economic asset to you
2: for sure wildlife is an asset Uh, it's something that we have to look after it it brings in money which we then use to upkeep the farm to protect the rest of the animals so it's an asset that we have to utilize to protect and grow our assets it's basically i'd say it's like a like a stock, almost. We want it to grow, and we want there to be more, so that we can one, we can make more money to protect better, and maybe expand and get old cattle farms and buy them and rehabilitate them, so there's more wildlife on them again. And yeah, that's about.
1: So Oliver, isn't the you know the justification here? Isn't it just because, from an economic asset perspective, that you value the animals, you want more animals because you just want to shoot more animals.
2: No, no, it's not Not that we want to shoot more animals. It's that we truly have a passion for the animal and we want Africa to stay wild. We want, the, well, not only Africa, all over the world, we want the wildlife to thrive. And wild places are disappearing more and more with human population growth, human wildlife conflict. So we need these little sanctuaries to protect the wildlife. And the only way we can fund this protection of wildlife is through sustainable hunting.
1: What would happen? Let's and, and essentially we had a test case in twenty twenty. What would happen if hunting was banned? What would happen hunting with your property? Was, let's just let's use you as a personal example. Let's just say we had a COVID pandemic for three years.
2: Yeah.
1: As a businessman, well, what would you do?
2: We'd have to we'd have to re look at what we can do with the property because we wouldn't be able to keep funding the wildlife side we'd maybe we'd keep a small wildlife area on the farm just because it's our passion but we'd have to go into maybe cattle farming or crop farming just to see what um what would make more economic sense and what's more viable
1: yeah it's funny a lot of people don't realize that right they they see the land as just the land and that's what's just going to be there and wildlife is just going to be there And a lot of people forget to look at it from that economic perspective and that someone's paying taxes on that land. Someone's paying to look after the land. Someone is doing all these things and something has to pay for all those things. Yeah. yeah. And there's the reason why South Africa has 26 million head of wildlife today versus 500,000 head of wildlife back in the 70s.
2: Exactly, exactly. And like people would say, well, can't you do ecotourism? Uh, There's already so many ecotourism places. I mean, a guy could go to the Kruger, he could see the big five. Our property isn't big enough to sustain the big five, so we can't keep the big five here. And also, what do you do once the wildlife gets too much and they get overpopulated? You have to keep the numbers in check. You know, we are, yes, we are a high-fenced property. We're 2,000 hectares um so it's not like it's not fair chase i mean come and try and hunt a blue wildebeest or a kudu it can take you 10 days to find one but um, if the numbers get out of hand there's nowhere for the game to go so we have to manage the numbers and control the numbers
1: so let's talk a little bit about that whole idea of high fenced hunting right that is the that's the moniker of of south africa and it's funny when i drive down the roads of texas i almost feel like i'm in You know, in Pumalanga, I feel like I'm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) um, The roads are great. The roads remind me they've got big, you know, shoulders on them. And you just, it's high fence after high fence after high fence. Yeah. And, you know, even in Texas, you typically can see African wildlife behind those fences. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So talk to me a little bit about your idea of is this truly high fence hunting? You know, what is high fence hunting? Why? Is there such a stigma associated with it in South Africa?
2: Look, it's, it's I don't see high fences on a big property where there's no internal fences as high-fenced hunting because it's still a wild area. It's still natural. There's no, the game can get away. We're very mountainous. I mean, game can disappear.
1: Why do you, you need a high fence to start with? Sorry, I should have probably even, okay, just to so. set the scene for everyone yeah. who has no idea. When they, someone hears high fence, they're like, oh, no, 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 I don't want to hunt that. Why do you yeah. have a high fence?
2: So we, we spend a lot of money on protecting the wildlife in our area. And around us is cattle farms, which they, or crop farms, and they don't necessarily want game on their farms because it competes. So if our game were to go over to them, they just cull them and shoot them out. So we need the fences to protect the wildlife within our sanctuary.
1: Okay. So the moniker of high fence then is that it's easy, right? That yeah, it's, yeah. It's that's a, what it's, people think. Yeah. So what should they think?
2: Well, look, you can. I'm sure you can get to places where it's small properties, high fences, it's very easy. But here on our place, it's mountains, there's valleys, there's gorgeous. There's everything where the game can hide, it can disappear. I mean, just we've got over 200 blue wildebeest on our property and I've gone three weeks now without seeing one because they're somewhere up in a mountain where there's no access unless it's by foot or down in a valley somewhere. So it's not easy. It's still hunting and it's not, we don't drive around and we just drive up to the animals and shoot them. We, We hunt them, we go out, we spot something, we'll stalk them I mean, it's still, if they sent us, they're gone. They're up the mountain or down in a the valley. They can run much quicker, much further than what we can travel.
1: Do you think, where do you, where do you think it comes from, this idea? Is it just an American ideal that because I see high fencing in Texas or I see high fencing in, in you know, Mississippi, that it equates to the same thing uh, in, in Africa?
2: I think so. I've, I haven't really been on a high fence farm in Texas, so I don't know. I um, don't know if it's like camp setups or big open spaces. I'm sure you get both. And then, in the last couple of years, or say almost ten years, where we've had this big boom in the breeding industry in South Africa, where everyone has small camps and they intensively breed game in these small camps. You know, that's what people might see now and what they think high fences is, where you can just walk into a camp. There's it's. Uh, tiny camp, there's 10 kudu bulls in there and you just pick one and you're done. And that's, there, there is places like that, unfortunately, but not most of us that truly are conservationists, we don't hunt like that. And we don't like to see places like that.
1: So you're telling me that your, your hunters don't shoot animals off the back of your truck.
2: No, unless the guy's in a wheelchair or something.
1: So. Let me ask this question. Maybe this is tied to your pers- your your personal belief. Yeah. Why don't they shoot off the back of your truck? May be a very good question.
2: Yeah, the thing is, it, it, it would be too easy, I would think. The animals aren't afraid of the truck as much as they are afraid of the human figure and the human scent, because they're used to seeing the trucks driving around when they're doing roads or checking fences and so on. So there's no threat per se coming from the truck itself. So they're not going to run from the truck. So it would just be driving up to the animal and shooting it where if you're on foot, you know, there's your scent, you make noises that they're not used to. There's the human shape that they're afraid of. And it just adds another level of like difficulty to the hunt.
1: So is that something that you're, you're constantly pushing? Is that something you want to give your clients is, because that that almost puts you in a conundrum, right? That you're adding difficulty to a hunt to someone who's paid yeah. a lot of money. Uh, so how do you balance that? Like, what is? And again, I, I'm pushing you, and I'm purposely asking you some very yeah, difficult yeah, no, sure, questions sure. because for sure these are the sure. kinds of things that people think about, right?
2: Yeah. Look, we're not. We don't want to just kill. We want to hunt the animals. If we wanted to just kill, we could go out on a truck and we could shoot five, six, ten animals a day. But that's not what we want to do. We want to hunt. And it's the whole experience of coming to Africa and hunting on foot and pursuing the game on foot and all of that that's, that adds to the element of African hunting and to the allure of African hunting, if you ask me.
1: So I am asking all these questions very, very specifically. Yeah. Because this month, through Blood Origins, you have been uh, more than gracious enough to donate a hunt to us, uh, correct, on your yeah. property, um, I think it's a trophy Impala, a Blueville beer, and a bless buck. Right?
2: That's correct. Yep.
1: Um, and so five days. I didn't five days. I didn't want to. This is obviously not a. This is what I offer. This is what you can do. But I wanted yeah, this yeah. podcast to be a. This is Oliver. Get to know Oliver a little bit more. For sure. Kind of podcast. So Take just that. give me a little bit more details on where you are um, in South Africa, that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, well, I'm in the Limpopo province. We're about halfway between Petersburg or Polokwane as they call it now and Pretoria. So about three hours drive from Johannesburg International Airport up in the Waterberg mountains. So we're very mountainous, different terrains. We've got low valleys, mountains, open plains. It's very nice, uh, very beautiful area. And it's it's different to some places people might have hunted, like Tapuzimbi or those places which are more like savannah and bushland. This is more mountainous, more mountainy terrain.
1: And malaria-free, right?
2: Malaria-free, yeah. No malaria.
1: That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Yeah. Um, I had a, a question pop into my brain. How do you, and I think this is something, Do do you have to... Do you have to bring animals into your property to stock them or do you is your is your property big enough that it almost self sustains itself over time?
2: Our property is big enough it self sustains itself over time. We do every now and then bring in some new blood, maybe some new bulls or new rams of a certain species just to add some new genetic diversity into the area because being high fenced there could be a genetic issue after a while but we are big enough that everything breeds itself the population sustain themselves all of that
1: so how do you determine on an annual basis how much gets taken you know that you're not you know depressing or suppressing a population how, how do you figure that all out oliver
2: yeah, so we do a game count uh, normally by vehicle Uh, We just go around and count the numbers, more or less what we've got. Every now and then we'll do one by helicopter so we get a more accurate number. And then we try and not take off more than about 10% of our uh, populations.
1: You think so? 10% has been in the past a very sustainable quota?
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: And that's across the board on all your animals? You, you, you hit about 10% or certain animals is a little bit higher, certain animals a little bit lower? Certain
2: animals are a bit higher, like Impala. They're very prolific breeders. They breed very quickly and they mature very quickly. So we can take off a bit more there. Well, other animals like Kudu, they mature very slowly. It takes them seven, eight years to be a nice bull. So that uh, we, they would try and be a bit more conservative.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Uh, moving away from your South African property, I know that we've talked uh, in the past, you you have done some work in Zimbabwe, um, you are starting to yeah. expand. Tell me a little bit more about the, the Zimbabwe thing, because I know you've been interacting with some government officials and anti-poaching and all that kind of stuff.
2: That's Plus right, Mozambique, yeah. think, right? Mozambique as well, yeah. So let me start with Mozambique. In Mozambique, we've got an area called Kutara 5, which is, as far as I know, the biggest of the Kutadas, which are the Mozambican hunting areas. Official like hunting, yeah. And um, Kutada 5 is between Vilanculos and Beira on the Savi River. And that's about just under 680,000 hectares, which used to be in wildlife. 600,000 hectares. Yeah, 600,000 hectares.
1: (laughs) That's (laughs) 1.2 million acres. That's monstrous. yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. And uh, when it's, it's, it's a bit of a mission because it's a huge area to try and protect. And uh, the game numbers there have been pretty much wiped out during the war, during the Mozambican war. Uh, so we have our anti-poaching units in. We are seeing numbers pick up again. We've actually spotted the first war talk again about two weeks ago, which has come in again from somewhere. So that's good. And um, our biggest issue at the moment is illegal logging. There. So they're cutting down the big leadwood trees and the big trees they're going off to China. So that's what we're trying to get under control now, just to stop movement inside the Kutara from loggers, which also obviously will also poach if they get the chance to. I mean, we were shot at the other day in the anti logging raid. They have the A K forty sevens where they shoot at our team. And so it's quite a it's 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 pretty much a war that we have to fight against these guys.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize the yeah. The utilization of resources in Africa is a long-standing fight yeah. against uh, over-exploitation, essentially.
2: Exactly. Yeah, you know, And these guys, I mean, they come in, they just take out whole forests of really nice, beautiful trees, old trees, ancient trees. I mean, these trees are hundreds of years old. And they just come in and devastate the area.
1: Mm-hmm. So who's paying? How do you pay? Do you have hunters going into Mozambique?
2: No, we don't have any hunters now because the pop- wildlife populations are too low. So we fund all of this out of our own pocket and then out of the money we make in South Africa from hunting as well.
1: So hunters paying for wildlife conservation in other countries where the economics is just not working yet.
2: Exactly, exactly.
1: So talk to me a little bit more about Zim.
2: Yeah, Zim. So Zim, we've got a a farm that we're trying to... Uh, not take over, but we're trying to get from the government that it's about 9,000 hectares, of which about 5,000 is nice bush that we're trying to rehabilitate as well. It used to be an old cattle farm in the day and tobacco farm. So we're trying to rehabilitate it back into a wildlife farm. And they actually spotted two elephants on the property two days ago. Wow. And uh, so that's pretty exciting. So yeah, we're just busy in negotiations with the government to see what we can do. And we'd obviously, we'd have to fence in the 5,000 hectares, try and conserve the animals that are in there already. And then hopefully bring in some new animals, species that used to exist there that don't exist anymore. And bring back satellite populations of that to grow them.
1: So is Zim the same situation as Mozambique, uh, leasing, or do you have to put, you can purchase in Zim?
2: No, it's also a lease because it's government land. So we would be leasing Oh, it's government land. Yeah.
1: So you'd enter into almost like a 99 year lease situation exactly. like Mozambique. Talk, to, yeah. talk yeah. a little bit more about that. A lot of people don't really understand that in South Africa, you own the land.
2: Yeah. In South Africa, we own the land and we own the wildlife on it in uh, Mozambique. You lease the land. I think we are currently have a 20 year lease of which uh, then renewable to 99 years and Zimbabwe also we're looking at a 40 year lease to be able to renew it as well. And uh, in Mozambique, they've just changed that the wildlife will become our property as well so that we can manage it without having to apply for too many permits to take off if there's excess and so on. Obviously, CITES permits are still CITES permits. Sure. And in Zimbabwe, it's the same. If we bring animals in, they belong to us, and we can basically deal with them as we want like manage them and
1: so on. So a lot of people don't actually understand that the vast majority of Africa, I think Namibia and South Africa are the only exceptions that hunting outfits go in and they lease this land from the government. Mm -hmm. And obviously the leases are large, you know, 20 years, as you said, five years, 10 years typically don't work, but 20 years, 40 years, is what you're looking yeah. for because the amount of investment that you have to put into the place for the return exactly. that you're looking for.
2: Exactly. So we on a 5-year lease I wouldn't be able to build lodges, put up fencing, put in anti-poaching units because I wouldn't be able to make a return on my investment and be able to make money to keep going. But I mean at the end of the day you're still building stuff on government land, so once you're out of the area the stuff belongs to them. So you're pretty much investing for them as well.
1: Yeah. And it's a good model, right? You, you do get, yeah. you do reap the rewards from it. The sure. government does reap the rewards because they're seeing money come into, to, you know, their GDP and their economic engines that they're looking for. A lot of these countries are extremely poor. Uh, they've gone through some, some pretty bad civil wars. Um, yeah. So they're looking to rebound and, but it's still Africa, unfortunately. Um, yeah. and, Things happen, right? Things I've heard horror stories of, you know, and maybe I, I guess I've heard horror stories of people's camps being taken over by the government to say you're out and they've invested 10 years worth of money. But I think you'll agree here that doesn't happen very often. And when it does, it's probably because something has gone wrong.
2: No, exactly. We had a similar situation in the north of Mozambique. We had a concession there in the Not on the reserve, it was one of the outside ones. And um, there was another outfitter that paid the local government some money to take over the concession from us, to take it from us, basically. And uh, so the government came in and took everything from us and gave it to this guy. But luckily, we went back to Maputo, to the capital, and we spoke to the main guys there. And they were able to sort everything back out for us.
1: Yeah, nothing like a little bit of bribery on the local landscape, right? To kick people on and off. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Class- luckily we
2: had good relations with the main guys down in Maputo. So we were able to sort it all out.
1: So look, I I want, I normally keep these things short, sharp and to the point. Um, yeah. Let me, let me ask you this and I'll let you leave this uh, with the audience. Why would someone want to come hunt in Africa?
2: I think you're missing out if you don't. I mean, Africa is one of those places where once you've been here, you're going to come back always. It's in your blood. It's in us. It's, uh, it's almost like you're coming home when you're coming to Africa to hunt. Plus, our species diversity is next to nothing else in the world. So it's a very fun area to come and hunt. It's nice. It's, the climate's beautiful. And like I said, it's in us. It's, there's something primal about Africa that's, that just calls to us.
1: You've got some hunters coming soon? I
2: hope so. I'm still waiting for some guys to come in April, but with the whole COVID situation, the flights are a bit difficult. They've had their flights canceled, so they have to rebook. But um, I hope that it'll pick up again. Last year was a horrible year, but I hope this year will pick up a bit and then next year we're back to normal.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, the reason we're coming in April is that I think a lot is going to be some hunters coming in in April. But I think yeah. as soon as Delta and United are flying again starting in June, I think yeah. you guys are going to be balls to the wall from June oh, yeah. to no, November. Sure. <laughs> and
2: definitely
1: nobody's going to want a camera crew around because they're just going to be hunting their butts off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For well, sure. Oliver, I really appreciate you. I appreciate the fact that you have uh, so generously donated to Bell Origins. Um, My pleasure. I appreciate the the firing squad of questions that I le- leveled at you. Uh, <laughs> no problem. It's, uh, you know, you, you've had all day to, you know, get ready for this. It's five o'clock in the morning here. So I was yeah, primed yeah. and ready with my coffee to, to hit you oh, with good. some good questions. But um, yeah, thank you so much. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for your, your participation and your um, belief in the, what we do at Blood Origins. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to, you know, share a campfire and a cold castle lager one day
2: for sure. Yeah, I know for sure. We have to, and thank you. thank you guys for what you do for the hunting industry and everything that you guys are doing to get our message out there.
1: No, it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. Well, look, you go, uh, I think you've got to, you told me you've got to do some baby shopping, right?
2: That's correct. Yeah.
1: When is baby due? June. Boy or girl? Do we know yet? Girl, girl. Oh my gosh. Amazing yeah amazing yeah, amazing you. amazing all right my friend well we'll let you go thank you so much perfect thanks a lot all right bye. Cool. well that's it for today i appreciate you listening as always leave a review share it with your friends and most importantly do what's right to convey the truth around hunting
0: Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss
2: Battery. Waypoint TV. In wild country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country. Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern.
0: Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.